I tweeted out that if I didn't excel, if I didn't, if I didn't do better this last year in 2021 than I've ever done before, as far as my my chasing, my photography, my the quality of images, the type of extraordinary shots that I was getting, if I didn't do better than I've ever done before, I was going to hang it up. I was going to hang up the towel. I was going to throw in the towel and and hang it up. Hey Weekenders, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast where we share photographer's journey and share how photography have given us hope, purpose and happiness. And today we have someone who have been such a big support, such a big figure is especially uh, in the NFT world as well as in photography world. Her name is Lori Grace and Lori has been someone who is a big advocate for the underrepresented for you know the BIPOC the women and all the people out there that you know do not get as much voice to uh, to be heard or um, and Lori have been really active in Twitter spaces to create this um, spaces for um, for these people so I am so excited to um yeah to to talk to Lori about her journey her photography and how she um you know bring and help these people who are underrepresented so that they have more um space to be able to voice their their um their messages and their art so let's get right into it give us a little bit of background about yourself right uh, about who you are and who who you like to be known um, by other people in the industry as well as a, as a person? Yeah, I mean, so I am, I've kind of been all over the place through, through my life and doing different things. When I was young, I always had a fascination with weather. And uh, by the time I was in high school, I actually wanted to become a, a meteorologist and a tornado chaser back in the day before um, there even were, there before there even was something such as a thing um, called storm chasers. There were pretty much tornado trackers or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I wanted to go to Texas Tech in, in Lubbock to study and learn the science of tornadoes. But life took me on a different journey. And I got married, ended up, you know, ended up pursuing a, a degree in, in psychology, different, you know, which is vastly different. And then from there, just we ended up uh, moving out to Arizona over 20 years ago. And, and uh, finally, back in 2015, I, I became a wedding photographer, which is something I always wanted to do. And uh, once I, I, I was doing weddings, once I was shooting portraits and weddings and shooting people, I also discovered, rediscovered my passion for, for weather again, especially living out here in the desert. You know, these summer storms can just be some of the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen, especially if you're standing out in the middle of the desert um, at sunset and all of the colors of, that, that you can imagine are just filling your brain with, with just this, this, this chaos of beauty. And, uh, so I decided to take those same that same gear, right? The my old Canon 5D Mark III and the lenses that I had with it, and started shooting storms with it as well when I wasn't shooting weddings. And since then, that's been what I've been kind of alternating. Uh, during wedding season, I'll shoot weddings or portraits or or whatever throughout the year. But then during storm season, you know, I'll either drive out to the high plains and take pictures of storms and supercells and the 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 marvelous storms that are out there, or even in eastern New Mexico and in West Texas, or um, I'll wait again for the monsoon season each and every year uh, to try and capture something extraordinary each and every day. And then last year I jumped into, you know, I jumped into NFTs. I took some of that knowledge and I took the the images that I, I was creating um, and I decided to um, come into and take a look at NFTs because I was already into crypto a little bit. So for, for me, because I was already investing in crypto, uh, NFTs actually wasn't that that far of a reach. I know a lot of people are have trouble getting there, understanding uh, their purpose and, and the potential for success with them um, as an artist, as a photographer. So, you know, back in June, July is when I really started to look into it. And then I dropped my, my first pieces on foundation last August. And I quickly sold through two or three uh, pieces on foundation, which surprised me because I really didn't know anybody. And then I spent time in the community, slowly prepping my, my collection my first collection, which is the Passionate Pursuit. And after that, yeah, I mean, I've now sold through two collections and several pieces 
<laughs> excuse me, and, and almost another collection of time-lapse pieces on foundation. And I host spaces like crazy just because I love it. I love this community that I'm a part of. And uh, yeah, and that's where I'm at today. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just so many people being onboarded into into crypto now and NFTs. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to storm season again too, probably more than anything. I'm so ready to get back out there and chase chase storms and do things a lot differently. That's incredible. Yeah, um, that's that's really cool to see, you know, how everything kind of uh, flow through. Um, why did you wanted to do wedding photography? Um, I'm curious of that. It was like, what is that one thing that makes you, you know what, I want to do wedding photography. And, you know, many people kind of do it for, um, you know, it, because it is a, a good industry to make money off. But when I listen to you, um, talking about your wedding photography, you're really passionate about it. You really care about, you know, your 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 brides and groom, and you really care about capturing those moments and um, being able to create a memory of a lifetime. So share us a, a little bit about that uh, that passion in wedding photography. I think you're still oh, muted, Lori. <laughs> here I was talking, go figure. It didn't unmute, sorry. But here I was, you know, with wedding photography, I really enjoy taking photos of people and um, ever since we, we had our kids and they were babies, I loved just using the original Canon, what was it, a digital Rebel XT, just such a, an older camera. But you know what, even those, even those cameras were taking just incredible images. So I, I, wanted, to do, I wanted to do something um, that kind of offered a little bit of, a, of an adrenaline rush. And that's what I love doing most about weddings is that it's not for everybody. And I jumped right into it. I, I did all the studying. Um, I bought all the gear, learned everything I could about off-camera flash. Because I just didn't, I, a lot of the wedding photographers who I saw in, locally, they're just flash on their camera around shooting weddings that way. And that is not the kind of quality I, I wanted to see out of, out of um, from photographers. And there are a lot of great wedding photographers who really are a master at crafting light with off-camera flash. And that's something that I really, really do enjoy using is OCF. But not only that, being able to maximize the dynamic range that these cameras um, have. So, you know, I, I do see a lot of wedding photographers who I think the style, well, the style is called light and airy. And there's generally hardly any, if you know, none to maybe very little of off-camera flash or on-camera flash. Um, and they essentially, you know, it's, it's kind of an overexposed, slightly overexposed um, image just so everything is super bright but I don't care for that style it's not my style I know it's a it's pretty much what you're going to see on any bridal um, magazine that's out there because it's such a popular style but for me I was always about capturing the sky also and capturing the breadth of the dynamic range in your camera so I wanted to see shadows I wanted to see the sky I like a blue sky and not a white sky that you typically see in these other kind of shots um, whether it's a blue sky or a pink sky or whatever's happening in the in the environment, and of course that translates into my experience as a as a storm chaser, weather photographer. You know, I want to maximize. I really want to capture everything that I can, um, and I'm it, because I really think that's important to not only properly expose for the the clients, whether it's a wedding couple or a portrait of some sort. So, so that's when I ended up, you know, making sure I expanded into using soft boxes, you know, whatever tools I needed to get the shot that I was looking for and to craft that. That's what I did. And, and that's where I'm at today is I still love, I'll take a soft box. Um, if I'm shooting a high school senior, for example, you know, up on a mountain, like I did this past weekend, I will take the soft box with me and I'll have a friend standing with a giant soft box just to create that light, that beautifully diffused light, and then have that sunset in the background, that golden hour down in the valley below just going nuts to create that that beautiful um you know that 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 beautiful extra light that's just you know, the, uh, that's just surrounding the client and it just makes them glow with just that extra warmth so as you can tell i'm i'm really technical about it all but i just really love doing it and that's what creative juice is going yeah, that's really cool. You know, um, when, when you do something that you're passionate about, that's when you really create something truly unique, right? Like, um, I think like you really have to love what you do in order to create these um, images. And um, it's, it's interesting to hear that, you know, you, you studied psychology, right? Um, if I 
heard you correctly. Correct. And um, how how did the transition to 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 photography, like from from psychology? Like I, I was an engineer as well, so um, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of take me there. So it's always interesting to hear, like you know, how did that kind of uh, flow through um, to make you to to spark that interest in photography? Right. Well, you know, it's the the degree that I was going for, and what I originally wanted to do when I was in college was I wanted to be an industrial organizational psychologist. I wanted to be able to, to find out how we can take care of an employee, how a business can maximize their profits by taking care of the employee first, right? If you look at it, it's, it's, it's always been a no-brainer. And unfortunately, you still see a lot of companies operating in the opposite of the way, right, where they're kind of abusing someone, where they, no break for you, get back to work, you know, and and they're just pushing them to the limits. And then when you look at um, some of the other corporate structures, like um, some of the, the companies in Japan, some of the large companies in Japan, where they would actually take <clears throat> a, a small uh, an office room, or they would take a room, they would put several chairs, it was their break room, and it was actually, um, they were massage chairs that you could completely recline in, and the room is exceptionally dark, and they would let them power nap for 20 minutes, right? They would go in there, they would, they would put, you know, they would sit in this complete dark room and just be allowed to rest and power nap. And th- those those companies found out that their productivity went through the roof by giving them the breaks that they needed, the rest that an employee needed, instead of how we do it in the, in the United States, where it's like, you know, you got to work 10 hours a day, 15 hours a day, and and, and just keep on trucking and, and work to your, till you're exhausted each and every day for the full week, and maybe you'll get a vacation out of it. You know, when you actually look at these other companies that cause um, that force their employees to take those really needed rest breaks in the middle of the afternoon or the middle of the shift, those employees came back and excelled in their performance through the rest of the afternoon. And that was something that intrigued me. I, I loved the psychology of the human um, working spirit, if that makes any sense. And so, you know, we're human. We need to take breaks. We're not robots. And when companies treat humans like robots, you're going to experience um, burnout. You're going to experience um, employee discontent and all of that. So I really wanted to, to work with large companies with that. And that was where I went with the psychology degree. But I, of course, I, I discovered that you could apply a lot of the, a lot of that learning that I've done um, to pretty much anything. It applies to anything in life. And so when I finally made it up to becoming a wedding photographer, um, the psychology of just taking care of your clients you know, um, I was an assistant pastor also. So with church, it was kind of the same thing. You just, you have to take care of the people. And you'll see me actually quote, um, I actually tweet out probably at least once a month, just the same, just a simple line that people don't care about how much you know until they know how, how much you care. And to me, that's, that's so essential in whatever you do. If I'm just a spaces host, people don't give a crap of until that they know that I'm, I'm in it for the community I see value in them as well. And I mean, it, it's really down to something simple as that, as that um, you have to take care of whether you are a boss and you have to take care of an employee, whether you're a parent, you have to take care of, you know, your family, whatever kind of relationship structures that you have, you have, to, it has to come from a position where you're, you're giving of yourself, you're providing of yourself in order to get something and um, in, in return or to even expect some something positive in return um, if you're looking to get a, a, a return on an investment basically so that being said being in spaces I just love the community I love being a part of this there's something amazing to have so many people supporting me and so I am doing these these spaces that I hold I just love returning the same support that's been given to me and there's there's just a really great cycle with that um, and so I don't really use that anymore but what I do um, <coughs> as a wedding photographer I do still use that principle, that same principle when I'm actually directing a client, right? Like I just want to make sure that I do everything that I can to make them feel comfortable and um, focused on each other. And if I can disappear as a photographer and help the couple to connect, then those authentic moments are really going to be what really sells my work. So being able to capture an authentic moment is, is the, uh, is the, is the best thing you can do as a wedding photographer. And so that's what I strive to achieve. And I really love doing that, and I love the clients' their images from any kind of session, whether it's an engagement, whatever it would be, and to see just the smile on their faces, knowing that captured, you know, real moments is is there's nothing. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think, you know, this is why it's really good to kind of hear people background and, you know, where, where, how, how they kind of get to where they are today because it really makes sense, right? When I hear you um, talking about your, your clients um, as wedding photographer, I can see how much you care about it. And, you know, when you're in spaces, um, I could also see how much you, you know, try to um, uplift other and um, care about other people's mental health as well as, you know, their successes. And this is, yeah, this is why, like, you, you, this, this, this was your whole purpose altogether. And I think that is really cool um, to finally learn that, you know, I always love to learn what it is um, that, that drive them. And when, when you learn that, you can see that everything that person do um, comes back to that one purpose. So that's really cool to, to, to be able to, to, um, to know that of you. Now, I know you from your striking shots, <laughs> no pun intended there, <laughs> you know, your lightning right. photos, because uh, I, I love um, um, lightning as well. Um, it's exhilarating, um, you know, the, the feeling when you see those um, lightning strikes, and especially when you capture one on camera, it's just so addictive. Um, what, how did you, so you said that, you know, um, at one point as a wedding photographer, you were able to rediscover your passion for weather, and you kind of tie that into photography. Um, and you start taking photo of the storms and everything, right? So how, how did that spark? Like, how did, how did you manage to rediscover that passion for photography and decided to, you know what, I'm going to chase these storms? You know, it, was, it, all, it all started with, with the reinvestment into the new camera equipment because I've always, I've always been just enjoying the storms, living out where I live, but I really didn't have a means, you know, taking a picture with my old we're not talking about the new iPhones, right? Or the new the new Samsung Galaxy phones. We're talking about the old phones where you would take a picture and it would be so pixelated and um, just wasn't worth keeping trying to take a picture of a sunset. Like you're standing there. How many times have you seen pictures, people post pictures of the moon from with their phone, especially 5, 10, 15 years ago? Like, oh my gosh, the sunset was amazing. And you look at Facebook and you're like, that is the most hideous photo I've ever seen. And then you just go, oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed the sunset. You know, it just didn't translate, right? And that's what I love about about um, just investing. When I first invested in my first camera, my first DSLR, I should say, professional body DSLR. Um, I did have a 70D before that, and it was a great camera. But when I got the 5D Mark III and uh, the Sigma 50 millimeter f1.4 art lens, I tell you what, there was no looking back. You know, it was once you go once you go full frame, there's you know you don't go back, and uh, so. I just love the, the, the beauty and the, uh, the quality of a, of a full frame image and capturing that. I don't know. I really do. It's, it's, it's almost sick. Like I, I have an addiction to wanting to capture um, photos and, and my love for photography really grew. So back in 2015, when I started the wedding, the wedding business, the wedding photography business, um, when the storms were there, it was like, okay, now I have this drive to, to relearn a lot of the forecasting that I needed to do. Because you, you don't just wait for a storm to pop up and just go outside and take a picture. That That's a disgusting, terrible way to storm chase. Um, but to be able to figure out where you're going to be and to maybe find locations where you can position um, overlooking a valley, if you can, as the storm um, comes in off of the mountain peaks and drifts into the valley towards you. And all of that, all of that takes so much work and effort and driving for hundreds and thousands of miles just to finally get into that position only to find out that the storm doesn't pop out anything, you know, anything worth even capturing other than maybe a few clouds over a mountain peak. So, you know, the agony of defeat is much greater when you're storm chasing because you're not always, it might look like I have, like I go out there every single day and, and, and just scoop up success with my images, but that's not the reality. The reality is you've got to just grind each and every day. And more often than not, you're going to come home with nothing, nothing that you want to even share. So, you know, so you learn to enjoy the journey like I have, and I'll have my dogs with me, and there's nothing like it. Even if I don't get anything, you know, I still spent a, an afternoon driving 300 miles into the desert or maybe into the into the foothills of a mountain range in, in southeastern Arizona where the grass, where you get to see the cattle, and there's nobody around for 30, 40 miles, you know, and just to be at peace with that. There's something really cathartic about being out there storm chasing and even coming back with zero because you really don't come back with zero if you have that perspective. That is awesome, Lori. I think, you know, a lot of us, um, especially the, the newer photographer, really need to understand that because, you know, they, they look at Instagram and, 
I mean, I get these comments all the time. It's just like, wow, you always capture this. Like, I was like, no, it's like you don't know how many times I went back to that place, driving, you know, how many hours, hoping for something, and I got nothing. Um, and that's exactly it. You know, I love that you share that. Um, I mean, like, I, I, I did that a lot with um, Aurora chasing in Canadian Rockies. And, um, you know, a lot of people kind of say, like, wow, you always, like you, you captured a lot of Auroras. It's like, no, just out the law. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, exactly. that's a, yeah that's it right you gotta increase your chance to capture it uh i mean yeah the planning it needs to happen as well but if you don't go out you're not gonna get it you gotta in it that's to win exactly this. it you, you, <laughs> you're not gonna catch the storm if you, you don't, if you don't even leave the house that's very true yeah that's awesome um i think you know it's it's really um powerful and also translate to um a lot of the human uh sorry the mental health issue that we are having is that um when we go out there we have a certain expectation right and when we don't get that most people um get angry or resentful about what they've done but if you can enjoy the journey then that's when you actually just enjoy it and um that's that's great thanks for sharing that um what was i, I just lost my train of thought that <laughs> that was a really good point that you brought up there. <laughs> you, you, just, uh, you just have to take a chance on it even if you think that there's only a two percent two percent chance of capturing something extraordinary Guess what? If you don't go out, there is a 0% chance of you capturing anything extraordinary. That's it. And I think that is the difference when you really enjoy what you do versus when you just do it for the sake of doing it, right? Because when you really enjoy what you do, you're passionate about it. You want, you know, that 2% is a massive fuel, right? Um, but when you're, you know, just doing it for the sake of it, you want that cert, uh, certain um, expectation that it, it's going to get met. So, um, so if you were um, to look back, what are some of the biggest struggle or challenges um, that you have come across to get to where you are today? Oh, gosh. First of all, finances are, are a huge challenge, right? If you don't have the money for the gear, um, you might just be stuck using your phone. Uh, looking back on it, though, you know, I'm still glad that I would, I would use whatever kind of gear I had in my hand. You know, like I said before, I, that old Canon Digital Rebel that I spent $600 for at the time back in 2002 or 2003, you know, that was a lot of money for me back then. And even that, that crappy old 50 millimeter, what is it, the 18 to 55 millimeter uh, kit lens was such a trashy plastic lens that doesn't even uh, give you the potential to see what you can do, even with that kind of camera. And um, slowly bought a couple of different lenses for it, a 70 to 300. And I loved that little beast. And it was just, you know, the biggest challenges were, were the financial thing, just being able to save up when you're not doing it professionally to, to continue to pursue that passion. So I was always taking a little bite into photography, one thing at a time. Like I started from zero and I was a wedding photographer. There was, there was a buildup to it um, and you just, you know, you save up for it. If, if you care about something, you're going to save up for it. And that's what I was doing. Uh, so finding, finding the time and the money to be able to slowly build up a collection, not a collection of lenses, but a, two or three good lenses. And then I finally upgraded at the time, you know, what was it, about 2013, I would say, is when I got that Canon 70D. And that was a huge step up, especially with the, the video capabilities and using um, dual pixel autofocus and a lot of the great features that a 70D would, would provide. But even the 70D at night ugh, didn't cut it for, for any kind of astro because I didn't have anything wider than like an f4 lens or an f5 uh, f6.3 lens or whatever it was and uh, so i guess one of the bigger biggest barriers was just having the fight the, the the finances to afford the, the better gear but even then you know i used what i had and i still love doing what i what i did with and now it's funny because now i shoot with a lot of sony's i have four sony cameras including the a1 and people tell me oh all i have Lori, is a is an old canon 60d and i'm like Give me that 60D and I'll shoot the shit out of a wedding if I had to. I promise you I, would, I, I could get some banger shots. I could shoot with the 60D with the right lens. I could kill the Milky Way with that. I could get some kick-ass Milky Way shots. You just got to know how to do it, and you can't be afraid to use whatever tool is in your hand. And so even sometimes when I see a sunset, um, one of my most viral images was from an iPhone of a lenticular cloud at sunset, and it was all pink. It looked like a huge... Um, it looked like a huge um, cotton candy ball, right? And it was, it was um, moving over the, the mountain near where I live. 
and the, the horizon was horrible. There's all these mesquite, ugly mesquite trees. So there was nothing beautiful, beautiful about the horizon. But that little iPhone at the time captured such depth of the color of the pink in the sky. And of course, you know, the time lapse of the sunset I captured using the, the Canon 5D Mark III, that nobody gave a crap about that. Everybody loved that pink lenticular cloud um, online. You know, I think that that had, I can't remember how many thousands of views and, and retweets and all that stuff and comments. And then of course I post the time-lapse that I, that I, the reason I was there, which was the time-lapse of the sunset. And I think it got like a hundred views in total. So you never know, you know, you never know what the sky is going to provide for you. And if you have an iPhone, use your iPhone, use the tools that you have with you at the time. Yeah, that's, that's really good um, advice. I mean, like, especially with, you know, the technology that the iPhone have today right now, um, you know, you could take a pretty good night shot handheld. It's crazy. And like, I think a lot of, a lot of photographers um, doesn't realize as well, um, especially the one that are quite new to, to the, um, you know, to, to the genre is that when you capture with a, a lesser quality um, camera, there, there are different ways to push that, that limit, right? Um, with post-processing and all that stuff. And I'm not even talking about, you know, um, compositing or anything like that, but you could clean up a lot of that photo um, by, by working on it on the post. Um, so yeah, that's a really good advice there. Um, um, Lori, um, what are some of the things that, you know, kept you going through all this? You know, I know that I'm pretty sure that you have a lot of things that stop you from, um, where you want to go uh, from where you are to where you want it to go. Right. Um, I mean, especially with, um, you know, with the wedding, you know, getting started with the wedding couldn't be easy. Um, as well as with storm chasing, you know, like, um, I remember when I, try to learn all this um the the forecasting i was just like wow what is all this um so what are some of the things that keep you inspired and keep you going and when you have that low point in your life where you know like you feel like you can't do it or you're unworthy of it what do you do to to push past that and um and you know get to where you are today hmm. that's a tough one because there's so many different things there, there are so many different forces at play that try to ruin you. Sometimes it could be somebody who is a gaslighter, right? Someone who's telling you that, that you're a piece of crap or in, just in a subtle way, tell you that your storm images and that you're forecasting, that you're always doing the wrong thing. And that was something I, I dealt with um, even as recently as a year ago. And that was huge. It, it had been just such a, a defeating uh, mindset that I felt. I just didn't feel like I, I would ever measure up to anybody else. And wow, what a lie. You know what I mean? Looking back, I'm like, if I could tell Lori from a year ago, I would say, are you kidding me? Would you take a look at your work? How could you believe that? How could you believe the lie that somebody else is trying to tell you? Look at, look at the truth, face the truth. You have been kicking ass for a long time, but you've only been getting better. You did start off, you know, look back when you look back at your first photos, right? Like my first storm chasing photos. Oh my gosh, they're embarrassing, <laughs> you know, but I, at the time I was so excited that I captured lightning you know, and that I edited Super Bowl into, into the photo and oversaturated it and the focus was completely blurry. But I was still excited. But um, over time, you, you start to, uh, I, I, think, I think more than anything, you end up defeating yourself, whether you give in to somebody's, you know, gaslighting or people who are trying to be gatekeepers, those type of things. You know, I, those are all just constructs. You know, if someone can convince you that you're a piece of crap, then... You, you really do have to look in, inside yourself. And it took me, it took me jumping into NFTs and getting tapped on for me to finally be able to break free from that. And now I look back and I'm just, I feel the self-doubt the self and this lack of self-worth in what I was doing. I have no idea why I was so down on myself. Like I really do. That's one of the biggest things, you know, you hear me in spaces now and I'm all excited and yeah, I'm, I'm such a badass. You know, it, it, it's not me. It's not... It's never been me to have that kind of bullish attitude on myself, but it was being in spaces like this and, and listening to just inspiring people like Jack Wardale saying, be bullish on yourself, you know, and that, that realness of, of things when others finally see how genuine you are and how awesome you are and you finally stop to believe it yourself, man, it just sparks something and it heals a lot of those wounds. And so I would say that the biggest barriers wasn't the, not, wasn't the ability to have you know, to have to save up for extra lenses. It was the ability to believe in yourself that really was the biggest limiting factor. Because if you have the greatest lenses, 
and you're still out there killing it and it take and people are, are are trying to cut you down and you believe it you know what a limiting you what a limiter you know you're trying to be you're, you're trying to overcome things but when you don't see your own potential and how what an amazing journey you've, you've been through you know that is it's such a blinder you know how they put blinders on horses right you know once you took the blinders off of my eyes you know once people in this space can can just pour their love and their 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 support into into me and, and were able to kind of grab me by the head right force me to look back on my own work and see how far i've come you know wow it's just and i think that that's such a limiter to all of us you know to finally cause me cause caused me to stop looking at everybody else and comparing myself to others and uh, just missing things, missing out and being upset that somebody else succeeded. And of course we, we are happy when people succeed, but at the same time, it's like, when is my time ever going to come? And just focusing on those things, that's not important. Your success has already come. You're already successful. And it's just a matter of time for other people to see that, whether it's a collector or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. For me, my success isn't the sales that I've made in NFTs. My success is in the people that I've met. I have to admit, when I look back, if I if I were to look back and write a book right now, the story were to end right now, I would say that my biggest success is... Uh-oh. Sorry, my, my headphones cut out. Yeah, so I would just say that, you know, that my biggest success has been the relationships that have been forged over the, you know, through the fire of, of NFTs over the last six months. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's funny because um, for a lot of people looking from the outside, I know, like, you know, I, I have a few artist friends and that I try to, you know, onboard. It's like, you got to jump in here and, you know, it's it's a beautiful community and um, we have, like, a, a massive future for it. Like, uh, it's a big potential of what you can do, whether you want to share your art or you want to um, use it for a different um good causes uh, there's so many different applications that you can do with nft and they were looking at from the outside saying like yeah but i just don't like the grind of you know like you have to do this and that it's like no you don't have to do that like it's your choice but you know it when you're a part of a community and it, it's it's like if you have a friend and a family that you know in real life that you really close to you want to cheer them on and you want to share their their wins it's not like it's a grind it's 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 a human nature that we want to be happy for our friends and family that we care about and um yeah that's i think that's really interesting to be able to see that some people have that perspective of people on twitter are spending you know um time here um because they have to and they want to get sale and probably there are some people who are doing that but I feel like, you know, there are um, the, the core community doesn't do it for that purpose. You know, they, they're genuinely um, there to support you and not looking for anything in return. And I think that's what's beautiful about this community. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that, Lori. Um, so do you have any other like do you have any um, shots that you're like that that is your favorite? Um, I know like you have a lot of amazing shot and um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be really a hard question, but is there a, like one, it doesn't have to be your, your best one, but just like what the most oh, memorable one. one. <laughs> yeah. And it's is that the most one, memorable yeah. one as well? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to share it... like the story behind that? Or do you have that in, um, in your um, tweet that you can pin tweet so that we all can look oh, at it while you yeah, telling the story? It's a bookmark. Um, cool. and I know this is this is going to be in a podcast too, so people won't be able to necessarily see it. But it is my Genesis piece. Last year, uh, last year I actually tweeted out somewhere in, and I can talk and do this at the same time. But last year I tweeted out that it was somewhere like around in March or what was it, March or April or somewhere around so, somewhere around there. I tweeted out that if I didn't excel, if I didn't, if I didn't do better this last year in 2021 than I've ever done before as far as my, my chasing, my photography, my, the quality of images, the type of extraordinary shots that I was getting, if I didn't do better than I've ever done before, I was going to hang it up. I was going to hang up the towel. I was going to throw in the towel and, and hang it up. And people, of course, were like, no, don't say that. That's such a negative thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not being negative. I, I, I just need to, I need something to take a risk. I, I need to, I need something to push myself. And so I'm telling myself that if, and, and being serious about that and telling you all to, to put it on the line that if I don't, if I don't do better than I've ever done before, if I don't push myself, then I quit. 
I, I'm not going to do it anymore. I, I would still be shooting weddings because that's a business, but um, I, I would be done chasing. I would be done trying to capture something extraordinary. And, you know, I, I, I pushed myself. I knew, I knew that I had to, to one up myself. And so this past year, I, <laughs> I would, if there was even a 0.02 chance of there being a thunderstorm out and out within a 300 mile radius, I would get in my car. I didn't care if I only got two hours of sleep, I'd throw the dogs in the Honda Pilot and go for a drive until I finally saw something. And I, you know, I've, I've learned how to target uh, monsoon storms quite well at this point, which is not easy to do because they're just, they just kind of pop up seemingly at random, but there's actually a huge skill that goes into kind of figuring out where they're going to pop up. <clears throat> and so um, this particular shot, uh, this, that little, if you're looking at the photo and I know if, in the podcast, people aren't going to be able to see that, but that little goldfish looking cloud on the left is known as a, as a, as a mesocyclone. It's actually a little supercell, um, the kind of storm that you see out on the Great Plains, um, a rotating storm is all it is. And so that little storm came off of the mountains and I had positioned myself, as you can see by the photo, there is nothing, um, there, there is nothing blocking the image of this storm here. And what you can see on the right is, um, is golden hour, right? You can see the, the sun, fiery red colors being pushed in on the left and on, on uh, to the left. And then on the left side, you have blue hour creeping in and you have that bluish color. Um, and right in between is where these massive strikes just rained over this, this valley. Um, and what people don't know in this image is that right behind me, I'm standing on a bridge, or, you know, that, that, that goes over this river. Um, and right behind me are these, is a huge um, power plant. And some of the, some of the, uh, the poles go up as high as 50, 70 feet, maybe 100 feet, I'm guessing. It's one of those huge power lines that go through the desert. And it was just complete distracting element. So to, to position myself where I did to capture the colors and the sun, um, I challenge anybody else who, because I've, I've been told the same thing by other people that that's probably the best shot of lightning they've ever seen. And it's definitely the best shot I've ever captured. Um, I have refused to make this a composite. You know, some people have told me, well, you know, if you, if you, if you, you know, maybe put a castle or a Pegasus in there, you know, that would make it more sellable, you know, and, and I'm like, no, this is a real freaking picture. You have no idea what went into this. This was all six years of storm chasing that has gone into my brain and to be able to get to this spot, to see, to know that this little storm was going to spit, that little cloud was spitting out these bolts, was responsible for creating these bolts. And um, I ended up capturing this in a time-lapse too. And uh, I have this in the time lapse. I have not minted the time lapse. And when I posted this, I have since increased this. This is my Genesis piece. And I have since increased it to 30 ETH. And when I'm laughed at by people that I'm, I'm being, you know, ridiculous, I just point people to, you know, the fact that uh, if you're going to look at PFPs, you know, if an ape can sell for however many ETH, but not only that, look at, look at blue chip photographers like Justin Aversano and, and um, Drift and Casamard, they're selling pieces for 100 ETH. So I don't ever want to be told by anybody how to price my work. Granted, this photo might not sell for a while, but I'm okay with that. And I just don't care. I'm not here. It's not up for discussion. It's not up here for negotiation. I do have a lot of pieces when I launch my collections that are averaging about 0.3 right now. And I sold pieces in my last collection that people were laughing at me that where I had, had listed them at one ETH each. And the collection sold out and people at the very end came in and swept the rest of those one ETH. So I had three photos of, of lightning going through a, rain, a double rainbow and all three of those different shots got picked up within two days. So, you know, I, I just, I don't like having that discussion about pricing because it's about worth. And if it does, even if those didn't sell, I would still be holding on to that because I know, I know. And if anybody wants to find out how hard it is to capture what I do, that's what I would tell them. Here's the story and here's why it is priced that. And if you don't like it, don't buy it. But this is where I'm at. And of course, I do provide other shots that are a little more approachable, which is why I do have an addition piece of a bang or of a shot that's been doing extremely well. That's a lot of stuff, but that's my favorite shot. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, like just that whole, you know, the lights between the golden hour and the blue hour and have the strike, um, the lightning striking in the middle of it. Um, and I, you capture it really well that, um, you know, you managed to um, preserve all the details because um, especially right in the middle there where, you know, the where it actually um, strikes, it's always difficult to um, to to be able to 
preserve that. And um, I know I have a lot of shot uh, lightning shots where um, when lightning like this happen, um, you just lose a lot of details in that area. Uh, we're going to go into a little bit of detail here, but how do you make that happen? And, um, you know, what are some of the trial and error that you have to go through to, to get there, especially when you do a time lapse? Because, you know, when you do the time lapse, yeah. you do like an hour or 30 minutes of it, and you just hope that it, it, it goes all right. <laughs> well, and that's the trick to storm chasing, or at least to capturing lightning, is knowing where to put your aperture uh, when taking the shot. Because I guarantee you, when I saw this, um, right around the same time, some of the other bolts that were landing were of similar uh, brightness. And, and a couple had drove up to me and they're like, what is going on? And I was like, look at this. You all need to understand what you're looking at here. It's a rare kind of storm that we see here in, in Arizona. And um, they were just marveled. You know, it was like they were looking at a, at a spaceship um, entering earth and to see that on their eyes and, and the excitement was incredible, was incredible. But as a photographer, not only did I have to position and do all the forecasting and get to the right spot right at sunset and be in this right position at the right time, but now I had to get my cameras out. I was shooting two cameras um, on tripods and I had to make sure that those settings and that I had nailed focus, you know what I mean? I didn't, there's no autofocus. Everything was manual focus and so I had to also make sure that my aperture was going to be closed down enough so that when this bright bolt just flew out of the sky and landed on the ground, that it wasn't blown out. Because if you're shooting at f2.8, f4, f5.6, f6.3, I can assure you if I had done that, this shot would have been overexposed. Um, but without the lightning, it would have just been a really dark shot at, at those f-stops even. But So I had to step down to... I don't even remember. I, I have to look at the settings. I think it was F7.1, maybe F8, where I shot this at. I'd have to look at the, the metadata again. But that's something that you just have to see on the spot and make the adjustment and hope for the best because sometimes there are bolts that will be so bright that they'll even be overexposed at F13, you know, and that's stopped down a lot. Yeah, so um, you basically have to underexpose the shot, right? Um, but you say you were capturing the time lapse. So how do you do that? Because you know when you do the time lapse, everything else gonna be just dark when you um, underexpose the shot, or do you have like two different camera with uh, a different exposure? Yeah. So the other camera that I'm so this shot wasn't done with time lapse. This was done with the lightning trigger. So um, you know I could adjust my settings and my shutter speed. I think was about one fifteenth of a second. And capturing lightning actually doesn't isn't about underexposing the shot as it is about adjusting the light that that comes in when it comes in um, i like to liken it to if you know how to use off-camera flash um, you know that if you're going to use off-camera flash the first thing you're going to do is is dial in your ambient right and you do that by using shutter speed so it's it's amazing how my wedding photography has helped me to become a better storm photographer because if you know about using off-camera flash you're going to to adjust your shutter speed before you even bring in any kind of off-camera flash so, you know, if I want that ambient, if I want to capture the candles in the background or the lights or whatever of, a, of, a, of an event, I'm going to want to make sure that my shutter is open to maybe 130th of a second, maybe boost my ISO 115th, 120th. You know, yeah, now you're going to have to worry about in-body stabilization or whatnot or a tripod. Um, but then you're going to, um, you know, now to maybe boost your ISO a little bit. But your flash is entirely dependent on your aperture. So if I then bring in an off-camera flash at one, one of one power and I, I take that picture and my aperture is f1.2, guess what? You are just going to blow out your whole, you're going to blow out the entire image. And so that's where you start adjusting your aperture to dial in the kind of power that, of light power um, to, to properly expose your subject. Uh, this, is, this is kind of photography 101, off-camera flash photography 101. And so I'll, I'll dial in my shutter speed if I can maybe one fifteenth of a second during this um, late golden hour, early early blue hour image, uh, maybe one twenty-fifth of a second, somewhere around there. But then I will have my aperture. I'll need my aperture to be, a, a safe bet would have been F11, but then the bolts wouldn't have been so bright, if that makes any sense. Um, if I was at F2.0, F2.8, um, the bolts would have been uh, well overexposed and you wouldn't have been able to recover those highlights. So there has to be a, a technical medium and you just have to, it comes with experience and over time when you are shooting on this, on the fly and you're, you're hauling by spot to another to get to storm because right 
also moving. So you only have a very short window of time to find a spot that you can you can capture it, get your camera set up, adjust your settings, and hope that your aperture is is the right setting so that when the bolt does flash, you're not overexposing. Underexposing, you know, when if you underexpose too much, then your bolt is just underwhelming and it just looks like any other bolt that anybody else captures. So there's there's a little bit of, of finesse to it. And um, that is why I asked the question, because, um, you know, a lot of people kind of think and see, you know, this kind of shot or, you know, any other photos and feel like it's, 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 it takes, you know, it's like you just, you just hit that button, you know, it's not that hard. But the thing is, you know, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of failures, a lot of trial and error to, to be able to know exactly what you need to be doing at that particular moment when you, um, at a flash uh, second, right? Especially when you're capturing storms, like everything changes all the time. The wind changes, the direction where it hits the ground is always different. And a lot of people kind of just think that, that's not hard. And, you know, when, when people see that, that's usually where art get undervalued. But, you know, you, you say yourself that it takes you um, a lot of trial and error. It takes you um, time where you just go out there over and over again and just try to find that one strike. And, you know, that that is all the effort that we put into um, as a photographer to be able to capture what we love. And, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that, um, Laurie. Um, that is, um, it's really, I think it's, it's really uh, eye-opening for people to be able to see that. Um, do you have any bucket list shot um, that you want to capture or your, um, you know, your type of, okay, cool. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I actually saw a picture of a friend, a fellow storm chaser friend. Um, he's actually done it. He, he has a Netflix show um, and is very popular, does a podcast as well. Um, Greg Johnson. He, has, he shared a picture, I think it was in the United States, of a tornado, a very dusty, dirty-looking tornado, you know, picking up a lot of dirt just so you could see the entire vortex. And it's those kind of tornadoes that aren't, that aren't just, you know, low in contrast, but this is very clear that, that you can see, and it's exciting to look at. But he also captured a bolt of lightning going right through that dirty tornado. And it is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I tell myself, one of these days, I'm going to get a picture of lightning going through a tornado. And then I'm just going to take the rest of my cameras and donate them because I'll be done. I will be so excited. I'll probably just be ready to, to, to call it quits at that point. So that that's my bucket list. But the other thing I love to capture are something known as um, TLEs. They're also known as transient luminous events. And what they are is, you know, at, at, at the nighttime during storms that are huge, um, large storm complexes known as uh, mesoscale um, convective systems. Basically, they're the ones that just, they can span hundreds of miles and it's a line of storms and those storms often produce larger bolts of lightning called um, positively charged lightning. And um, above those strikes, when you, when, when you see a positively charged lightning bolt, which accounts for probably anywhere between one to 2% of all lightning, when that happens um, above in the upper atmosphere and actually into space, um, what happens is there is a discharge above the clouds, and that is known, sometimes they, you see them known as red sprites, which I've captured, and the one that I captured last year, which I have yet to mint, maybe for super rare or something, but I, there are, it's been known that there are only about 100 images of something called blue jets. So imagine, like, at the top of a thunderstorm, um, a, pic you know, a picture of someone squirting this bluish-purplish color of neon light into the upper atmosphere above a cloud that you can only see at the highest um, highest uh, aperture opening and uh, or the video setting with, with very you know very very wide aperture very uh, good equipment high sensor capable equipment um, and so that night last year in addition to this shot I captured a, another ten blue jets shooting up over a uh, a system a hundred miles from me and. Um, it was the most beautiful thing that I've ever captured. Uh, it's just this purple color of light that, that emanates above a storm on the darkest of nights. And you need all of that to happen. And I killed it. I nailed it. And I got it in video. And I have a whole of um, five or ten minutes of this happening on video. And um, I may release that as an NFT one of these days. But that's going to go for a shit ton of money. Um, just because it's it's so rare. And what I, what I, what I dislike most about it is that I got paid extremely low when I went to sell the footage to the media for this extremely rare event to capture. 
um, they paid me breadcrumbs for it. And so when I look at why NFTs for me, you know, and I, I get paid extremely well for my photography and for what it takes to capture my, my work. And I see that people are willing to pay what I believe it's worth. It's just a no brainer for me. I'm so sick of getting taken advantage of by these companies that are going to going to market the hell out of that rare footage, but only pay me, you know, pennies for, for what I've done and all the effort I've put into it. And so when it comes down to the why, I know we didn't discuss that, but that's the why. So that, that was going to be no my brainer. next question. So um, <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, but like, um, so I mean, like, you know, like, um, Coming into NFT, um, you know, like it's a lot easier, like you say, because you're already in the crypto space and you're already an investor in the crypto. Um, but there's a lot of um, um, people who are quite skeptical about it. Um, so, you know, I know you kind of say that's, that's the why you got into um, NFT, but maybe elaborate a little bit. Um, is that the only reason why you got into NFT or is there another reason? Um, you know, I know that Absolutely. being able to be um, like to be able to sell your or um yes i guess sell your um art that mm-hmm. that's what we think is worth is a big thing in 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 this some um, space but what are the what are some of the other reason that that makes you um that that brought you into the space you know if it weren't for jessica moore and guys you know like justin sneed who were already here before me and and, and getting into nfts and and kind of helping pave the way, I don't know if I would have done it because I didn't have an example. I, I didn't see to the other side of the bridge. And I think that's important to, to look back on because now I find myself on this side of the bridge and a lot of other people are looking at us going, you know, how, how's it looking over there? Are you getting assaulted? Are you being that, you know, are you being harassed? Is, you know, are you killing the planet? What's going on over there? And I think it's up to us to say, come on in, the water's fine. But here are some things that you need to know. You know, I really think it's imperative um, that people know that it's not all, that everything's not always coming up roses. You know, FOMO, if you're an artist and you, you struggle with FOMO, guess what? You're going to feel it a lot worse here unless you do what I, I think. Um, I like to say this to answer your question. I came for the coin, but I stayed for the community, right? You know, I saw the potential to be able to sell my, my work through my, my photography through uh, as an NFT and I ended up finding just an incredible community that stood by me that shored me up when I was discouraged. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I said before, I am not my entire life. I have struggled with self-worth and to this day, I, I have to admit, I don't struggle with that today. And it's probably a new horizon for me. It's a new dawn for me, which is so unreal. And I have to thank the community for being there for me to help, you know, the friends and the bonds that I've made, so I really do think that the the best thing about this this whole thing is the community that that's around. Um, there are there are nefarious people who don't give two craps about you, and that's okay too. But there there is a tribe out there for everybody, and I really believe that you know if you stick to that tribe, you're going to make it in this space. Uh, so yeah, so I'm here for the community at this point. That's what I love most, and it is yeah, nice that's... to sell an NFT. You know, not going to lie. No, that's 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 awesome to hear. Um, yeah, I think you know it's. I don't think this has been done before, right? Um, to be able to connect um, in like true voice. Um, I mean, Clubhouse kind of um, initiate that, but you know, like um, I never met you, and I feel like I know you. Like um, you, you know, you're just a friend because I just listen to your voice over and over again and hear your perspectives, hear your your thoughts on things, and I think that's what's really cool about this space and. That's why, you know, we spend a lot of time in this space because it's it's like we're hanging out with friends here. So I totally agree with that. Um, I, I think it's it's really cool to be to be here and to be part of it. And sometimes I just wish I have a clone that, you know, could be on Twitter and could go on adventure at the same time. Um, but um, I don't want to um, take up too much of your time and we're coming to an hour now. Um, one of the things that I really want to get your take on, um, I know you're a massive, massive advocate on this and I know that um, it's it's something that artists and human in general struggle with, right? Um, being able to um, being able to know that self-worth, being able to push past their their self-limiting belief, um, you know, to, to lift their self back up when they're down. Um, when you know when people crush you and stuff like that, and I know you know um, following your journey, um, I know that you you kind of 
it's really cool that you're really open about it when you're feeling down and you tell um, everyone that, you know what, I just need space and I'm dealing with this. And I think that's really inspiring because when you hear, when we hear you talk, it's as if you had it figured out, right? But what one thing that I'd, I'd love to learn um, and um, for you to share is that um, how, what are some of the things that you do in order to overcome this feeling, in order to come to the other side of it and um, you know, be able to push through this self-limiting belief that stopped you from getting to where you want it to be? You know, that's a tough thing. You know, it, it, it's really going to come down to even though people are there for you, you know, you can have your family like my wife who is, has been my support and, and she's at my side. Sometimes I'll, I'll be in a space and we're just sitting down. She's watching TV or whatever. And I'm just sitting, sitting on the bed together and we're just chilling. And, you know, she's listening in sometimes and, you know, she's my support and my rock, but um, the community has been there for me also. But guess what? After all that's said and done, they can't be there for you. They can't, they can't show up for you at the end of the day. You really have to make the decision to show up for yourself each and every day. And it's tough. You know, you want to give up, you want to quit. You, you've cried already when nobody's looking. You feel like you're just, wow. I know that feeling. I know it, it, it's not just a bruising feeling. It is crushing. My closest friends know that I know what that, that feels like. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes it relatable, but I, I can see you in the dark is what I'm trying to say. Cause I was there too. And, and I've been there way, way too many times. But it, it really does take, after all that's said and done, you know, when tomorrow comes, you just have to choose to step up and say, I'm going to show up for myself today and I'm going to I'm going to do it again because I had another chance. I'm breathing. I'm here. The sun rose. So I'm going to get after it again. And the, when I'll finally stop losing the chance, you know, I'll finally lose the chance when I finally stop breathing. And so I've got another breath in my lungs. So let's get it done, you know. If there's a 2% chance for success, then there's a chance for success. So let's get after it. And if you don't make it that day, guess what? There's another day. And, and it's okay to not be okay. I know it sounds so cliche, but it, it's so important to just understand when you're not feeling it, that's okay. Break away, step away from your phone, get out and do what you love and create and get back to doing, you know, the, the very thing that, that you're creating, you know, go get back out and create. So I don't know. That's my best advice. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Laurie. Um, I, I know the one quote that um, really stuck with me was, um, when you're tired, you rest, you don't quit. And you only quit uh, when you only you only fail when you quit. And um, I think, you know, you sum that up really well to, you know, give yourself a break, give yourself some love. And, you know, at the end of the day, if that's something that you really love, then you don't really want to quit anyway, you just want to keep going. So um, yeah, thanks a lot for sharing that, Laurie. It's been great talking to you, um, learning about your your story and, you know, learning why you care so much about people. I think that's really cool um, to, to learn that. That's that's the very first time I, I heard that, um, you know, you, you were um, you, you were a psychology, psychologist, sorry. Um, but yeah, it really, uh, it, it, you can't, re I can, like, you can really see it, um, how you um, care about the community, you care about people um, and other people's well-being. So that's amazing. Now, um, would you like to share, you know, um, a project or a piece that, um, that you want to, um, that people want to kind of um, see if they haven't met you yet um, so that, you know, they can see the, the amount of work. I know you already shared your Genesis piece um, earlier and, um but is there any other project that you want to share with the rest of the world um, before we um, close this to an end? You know, I think if people just wanted to go to my link tree, I have so much now that I've shared and I'm actually working on something. Um, it, my pin tweet is actually something that I'm doing now. I actually want to change the way I do things when it comes to um, my ability to affect change. And I started, I started a new collection on OpenSea. This is in addition to other projects I'm working on, mind you. And I don't care about scarcity and all that crap. I, there is no rule book for me, right? Like, oh, well, collectors aren't going to want to buy, but whatever. You know, I, I, I'm not here to, to, to follow old rules. Um, but I started a new collection. It's just a one. I'm only going to drop one at a time. It's called the Elevation Project. And every single NFT that I drop, it's going to be one at a time. Once, once that sells, um, that ETH, I'm dedicating... I'm dedicating 50% of that sale to an organization that uplifts women, that elevates women, uh, that supports women um, 
nonprofits, whether it's in real life or if it's a if it's a if it's a woman led project or non binary project, you know, in Web three, and I want to just make those donations because a couple of weeks ago, um, there was there was some basically there there was someone that had said some transphobic, homophobic things. And it just kind of stung to see that people are still out there in this space, doubling down on that kind of hate. And I just decided that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be angry about it anymore. People were telling me, screw that guy, Lori, you don't need him. Yeah, we'll take care of them. And I don't, I don't want that kind of action anymore. I think the best reaction is to take a good action for the positive. So what I did a couple of weeks ago, I, I just took a piece that I was going to drop on like upcoming Sloika collection. And I took it and I put it on foundation. I, listed it for 0.2 ETH and I just said whatever the final um, purchase is or whatever the final bid is on this I'm going to take it all and I'm going to donate it to an uh, outright international which is a huge um, LGBTQIA advocacy group worldwide advocacy group and the final bid was 2 ETH and I took after foundation took their slice of the pie it was something like 1.75 ETH and I made that donation straight to outright international again and that's like at the time it was what sixty nine seventy two hundred dollars worth of ETH, and wow, that felt so good, you know, to be able to do that. So I decided what I'm gonna do with the elevation project is I'm just gonna list one of ones, and they're gonna be reasonably priced. They're not gonna be two or five ETH projects. Um, they're just gonna be simple pieces of of shots that I really value. And when they sell, I'm gonna take half of that sale and give it to one of many projects that <laughs> that I want to give to that I just have in mind, and I just want to. I want to do that because that's what I want to see. I want to see, I want to do things differently. And if this becomes successful, then I can start to constantly give, at least with this particular collection, I can make make giving a bigger part of, of my own journey in NFTs. So as much as I've received, I can also give back. And so, yeah, you can look at my pin tweet. I hope it sells because um, the first one's going to the, you know, my friend Jen, who just started a, a a, a a group called Girls Who Chase, which is dedicated to seeing women, um, girl, young women who are getting into STEM um, and and other you know other other weather aspiring weather photographers, weather um, enthusiasts, scientists, and it's just dedicated to, to to elevating women in the 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 meteorology field or the science field. So I want to do that for her and for that this new organization. And then after that, I have some ideas, and I actually want to to sell my NFT so that will be dedicated just to buying other women and, and, uh, and other um, underrepresented groups um, who are just to, to lift them up. Because why can't I, if I can rise, why can't I help others rise while I'm rising also? I, I don't know. It seems a little idealistic. You know, I'm just not going to let anybody tell me what the rules are anymore. I don't think there's anything wrong with being idealistic at all and, you know, hearing your purpose. That's, um, I can see why you're, you have so much drive um, behind what you do. And I think that's amazing. And this is, you know, the, the big possibility of um, NFT that, you know, we can make the world a better place, um, you know, despite all of um, all the neg negativity that we see in, uh, in the in the media and all that stuff. But it's such an inspiring story, um, Lori. Um, I will be sure to put all the links on the description. Um, but thank you very much, um, Lori, for today. I know time is the most valuable things that we could ever give someone. And you just give, you know, not only me, but um, everyone your time today. I know that you're in here all the time. So if you guys do want to hang out with Lori, come to Twitter Spaces. It's here all the time. And she holds spaces all the time. And she's very very uh, welcoming and inclusive um to um you know to everyone basically um but yeah and, this is stanley I wanted, to, I wanted to congratulate you on selling that storm shot that you took just recently was it yesterday or the day before i saw that it sold so good for you on selling a, a storm piece Oh, thank you, Laurie. That was actually the very first day I uh, I went out. Um, so like the you know basically the the whole collection was about my my first journey. But yeah, that was the very first day I went out, and I got really lucky with that one. Um, so thank you very much. I really appreciate.
Well, there you have it, Wiki Hunters. Hopefully you have a great, um, you, you got a lot of inspiration from that talk. Um, Lori have been someone who I admire and have been someone who have onboarded not only myself, but a lot of people into the Twitter space and the NFT space. So she's definitely someone to follow in, um, you know, in this space. Um, but if you haven't already, so make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you can get notified when the next artists um, get interview as well as um, you know don't forget to leave a review don't forget to leave a comment so that um, this artist and those people who are um, wondering what this podcast is about can know um, you know your take on it but highly recommend you to connect with Lori either in um, Instagram or in Twitter and I will put all of the link below um, so that you can um, get in touch with her but with that being said, thank you very much for being here and I'll see you guys next week.